0: I want to talk with you about baptism but for just a second. We kind of uh, hit a milestone here this weekend at Harmony Bible Church. In a number of our services this morning, uh, we're going to baptize um, uh, around a dozen people, which means that for this calendar year, we will have baptized over 50 people. Over 50 people. So, you know, uh, in a normal year, that would be really great. In 2020, that's absolutely incredible, right? And so I think we should. We've already uh, celebrated a couple of times together, but uh, as we're one campus meeting um, in several locations this morning, uh, together, why don't we just uh, praise the Lord and rejoice in what he is doing here at Harmony Bible Church. Can we do that? All right? Yeah. So... It's really good to be back with you uh, here this week. I had hoped to be uh, back last Sunday, uh, but honestly, uh, COVID hit me uh, pretty hard and you probably didn't want me uh, here last Sunday. Uh, However, Pastor Andrew uh, did a fantastic job. And in fact, all of our uh, guys who've preached over the last month did a fantastic job, so much so that I, I got a little worried that you might not find me all that necessary. Now, if you were thinking that, please just keep it to yourself regardless, I'm glad to be back here and preaching uh, this morning. I'm also very grateful for your prayers for my family over the last couple of weeks. Um, it was a, a challenging time for sure, uh, but God saw us through, and I uh, really believe that uh, he primarily did so through your prayers. Before we get to the message, I wanna quickly highlight a new series we're gonna begin next Sunday uh, entitled, This Is Us. This is gonna be uh, a six-week series in which we're gonna talk about what we're striving to be as a church. Here at Harmony Bible Church, God's given us the vision to be a worshiping community on mission. So over the next month and a half, we're going to talk about how we're endeavoring to A, worship Jesus in all of life, B, help others to worship Jesus in all of life, and then C, to do these things together together as a church, as a community of Jesus's disciples. If you're new to Harmony, this will be a great opportunity for you to learn what it means to be a part of this body of believers. And if you've been around for a while, it will be a great refresher. So I invite you and really even urge you uh, to join with us for each and every message in this series. With that said today, uh, we're gonna talk about the gospel and politics. You know, I kind of wanted a a light and fluffy topic to get me back into preaching. And and what could be lighter and fluffier than a message on politics? Of course, I'm being facetious here politics is always a hot button issue. And that's certainly the case right now. It seems like pretty much every week, if not every day, there's some other big political hubbub. And I don't need to tell you that we live in a day where there is incredible political polarization, where the divide between the left and the right is great and growing, where most of our political dialogue is venomous and toxic, and where religious freedom in America is being threatened as never before. All of this is pretty obvious, and yet we have to realize that it all poses a grave danger to the mission of the church. The political climate that we live in and our response to it is endangering our ability to effectively communicate the gospel. And therefore, as believers, we have an urgent need not to not only know what the Bible has to say about politics, but to be changed and directed by these truths. Let me begin by telling you what I'm not going to do today. One, I'm not going to be able to cover everything that the Bible has to say about politics. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible actually does have a lot to say about politics, and so I'm not going to be able to uh, cover all of it in the time that I have. Instead, I'm simply going to give you what we might call a on the gospel of politics and refer you to some great resources for further study. You can find these resources at the bottom of the notes section on the handout today. We would really encourage you to grab some of those uh, for further study on your own. Two, and listen to this, I'm not gonna tell you what party to support or who to vote for in the upcoming election. Some of you may desire for me to do that But the Bible doesn't give pastors or churches the authority to speak definitively on these matters. I know some pastors and churches do, but quite frankly, they are in error. Pastors and churches can only, or maybe I should say should only speak authoritatively on the issues that the Bible speaks authoritatively And I can assure you that the Bible mentions neither the Republican or the Democratic Party nor any of the people who are running for office this November. Let me tell you why this is so important. If I were to say that Christian must vote in such and such a way, then I would be compromising the gospel. I would be at the very least subtly indicating that in order to be saved— You not only have to place your faith in Jesus, but you also have to affiliate yourself with this party and or this candidate. Now, we talk all the time about how the good news of Jesus Christ is that salvation comes through placing your faith in what Jesus Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection, and nothing else. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. And so if I, particularly as a pastor, say, hey, Christians always support this party or this candidate, then what I'm really saying is that for you to be a believer, you not only have to trust in Jesus, but you also have to affiliate yourself over here. And I'm not going to do that. I am not going to bind your conscience on something that the Bible does not speak clearly to. And let me just tell you, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for because I don't even tell my own family who to vote for. In in the last election, 2016, my my oldest child uh, was eligible to vote. So we had lots of conversation about politics and the candidates, but I didn't even tell her who to vote for because that was a matter for her own conscience. So here's what this means. It means you prayerfully need to determine who you will support based upon a whole host of issues with biblical principles being first and foremost among them. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about... Big picture, biblical principles regarding the gospel and politics. And for that, I want to invite you to turn with me to First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. And we always encourage you to bring your own Bible and to, to look in your own Bible or on your device. But it's going to be specifically uh, or especially important for you to do so today because you need to see that this is not coming from me, but it's actually coming from God himself, from his Word. There are literally dozens and dozens of passages um, in the Bible that address politics. And while I will point out a number of them for simplicity and clarity, we're gonna spend most of our time in 1 Timothy chapter two. So I want you to follow along with me now uh, as I read. We'll read the first seven verses. Paul tells Timothy, a pastor, this. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, or men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. There are two primary things that we learn about politics in these verses one, we learn God's purposes for politics, and two, the church's priorities in politics. God's Purposes for politics, the church's priorities in politics. Lots of P's in the message today. Hopefully that will be helpful for you remembering what the Bible has to say regarding politics. So let's begin by talking about God's purposes for politics. There are two of them. The first purpose is to establish and enforce justice in order that societies might experience order, peace, and flourishing. We find this purpose in verses one and two where Paul tells Timothy that the church is to pray for political leaders in order that these leaders might govern in a way that enables people to live peaceful lives. The Bible is clear that God establishes government to promote what is good and punish what is evil in order that God's original creation mandate may be fulfilled. We see this creation mandate in Genesis chapter one where God tells Adam and Eve that they are to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it. We we can see this in relation to, to government as early as Genesis nine, where after the flood, when God kind of reboots the world, all right, we see the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply stated not once but twice as bookends to God's initial instructions, his initial establishment of human government. So we're not gonna go there. We don't have time to look at it. But you go to Genesis chapter nine, all right? Immediately following the flood, God comes to know, and he says, hey, here's how we're gonna do this going forward, and he begins in verse one by restating that creation mandate, and then he lays out the principles, the initial kind of foundational principles for human government, and in verse seven, he restates the creation mandate. So what we see that is that human government is established by God in order that societies, that cultures might experience peace, order, and flourishing. We can also see this in 1 Kings chapter 3, where we read this after King Solomon all right, gives, gives a really wise judgment regarding two women Okay, who, who were arguing or fighting over this this, this baby? So, 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 two women, they actually were prostitutes, they were living together. Each of them had a baby. One of them died in, in the night, and, and, and then the, 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 they, they began to argue over who the, the remaining live baby be belonged to. And so they come before King Solomon, and, and he gives a really wise ruling. You maybe remember the story, but here's what we're told after all this takes place, okay? First Kings chapter 3, and verse 28, and all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. You see the words rendered there, rendered judgment and he did justice. That's what kings, that's what those in high position are supposed to do in order that there might be flourishing, that there might be peace and order in society. We can also see this in Proverbs 16 where Solomon himself says this. It is an abomination to kings to do evil for the throne is established by righteousness. It's an abomination for kings to do wrong for those in high positions, those in government authority to do wrong. Why? Because they're put in place by God to do what is right, to establish righteousness, which means to execute justice. Most notably, we can see this purpose for government in Romans chapter 13, a real key passage and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. There's a lot that we could talk about here, but for our purposes today, note that Paul says the purpose of government is to promote good and restrain evil so that people might experience Good, so that again, they might experience order, peace, and flourishing. Now, I know what you might be thinking, all right? You might be thinking, well, that's the exact opposite of what governments often do, and that is true. Instead of promoting good and restraining evil, they often do the reverse. However, all human governments are actually a mixed bag. They all promote good and restrain evil to some degree, and we need to realize and be thankful that our government does it more than most. No matter how cynical, frustrated we might be about our government, we should still be incredibly thankful that we live when and where we do. And there should be a bunch of amens at that point. All right? Note that in verse one of First Timothy 2, Paul tells us that we should be thankful, we should thank God for our political leaders. And let me just tell you that if the Apostle Paul could say this, then we certainly can. As Paul wrote 1 Timothy, he was actually in prison in Rome waiting to be executed by the infamous Emperor Nero. All right, so shortly after he wrote the words that we're reading today, Paul's gonna have, probably had his head cut off, all right, by the emperor at that time, and yet Paul says we should be thankful for our government leader. So if Paul can be thankful for Nero, then we can be thankful for our president, and we can be thankful for whoever the next president is going to be. So let me just give some examples here, all right? If you are thankful for President Trump, and quite honestly, you should be, then you should also be thankful for President Obama as well as being thankful for whoever the next president uh, will be, including if that happens to be President Biden. On the other hand, if you're thankful for President Obama and you're hoping that the next president is going to be President Biden, you should be thankful for President Trump. Now, I know some of you are in sheer terror and horror at this thought, but you need to get this. I'm not saying this. God is. God is. We are to be thankful for our government leaders regardless of who those government leaders are. Why? Because they have been put in place by God and every single one of them uh, is used by him to bring us good. Just consider some of the other places and other governments that we could possibly live under today. 2019, Afghanistan was considered the most dangerous place in the world to live because of all the disorder and chaos and corruption in the government. Or consider uh, the country of Lebanon, a place where I dearly love, visited many times, have lots of friends. We here at Harmony Bible Church have partners, significant partnerships, gospel partnerships in Lebanon, That country is in complete disorder and disarray and the people are struggling even to exist because of the corruption in the government. Do we have corruption in our government? Yes, we do, but not nearly as much as in many other places around the world and we experience a lot of blessings because of that. Do we have problems? Yes. Do we have issues? Absolutely. Are there major things that need to be addressed? Yes, that is true. But there are also a lot of good things. And if we, we would really focus more on being thankful for what we have, it would go a long way, okay, to dispelling all of the angst and, and, and nastiness and, and all of this panic and fear that we see. So, so, so let me just say this, if I can, can, can divide um, maybe older and younger people here today. Uh, younger people, there are significant issues that need to be addressed and there are real, real problems, but we could, we, it would do us a, a really uh, well to be thankful that we live in the United States of America. On the other hand, older people, all right, yes, America is great, America is wonderful, but America has some major issues that need to be addressed. So we could at the same time, listen, our, our, our political divide today wants to say that you gotta be on either end of the spectrum, no, no. We can be on both ends of the spectrum where we can say there are major issues that need to be addressed and also be thankful at the same time. There should be some amens in there too, all right? But anyway, you'll you'll get with me later. Let me point out something else important here. You need to listen closely to this. Since we live in a democratic form of government, in a real sense, we're all a part of the government. We all have a say in who our government officials are and therefore in what laws get passed and how they are or are not executed. To put it another way, we all have a responsibility in establishing and executing justice so that our society experiences peace, order, and flourishing. At a bare minimum, this means we all have the responsibility to vote. Can can I just say this? If you do not vote, you are abdicating your God-given responsibility to be a part of a government that establishes and executes justice. We We have the great privilege to have a say in what happens in our country. You might say, well, I'm just one vote. What does my vote matter? If everybody has that attitude, where are we? Where are we? Now, again, I'm not gonna tell you specifically who to vote for but here's the guidance I will give you. You should vote, listen to this, you should vote for the individuals you prayerfully discern will do the best job of establishing and enforcing justice. And let me be really clear that justice includes not only law and order, but also includes giving people their rights, making sure that people are treated equitably And this, especially in in the Bible, is focused on the poor and the marginalized. So I've preached on this many times before, but it's it's worth stating here again. When we talk about justice, we're not just talking about promoting good and and punishing what is evil. We're also talking about addressing things like the, the value of human life. We're talking about things like healthcare, uh, poverty, um, uh, racism, and systemic issues and systemic problems. So, so yes, there is the law and order, but there is also what uh, is normally called social justice. And I can just tell you that in the church, a lot of times this word uh, uh, social justice ha- gets a bad rap, but it is very biblical when it is understood in the biblical way. Now, I hope that you realize that in many cases, this means that we shouldn't simply vote along party lines. Today, there's not a lot of nuance when it comes to politics, which by the way is one of our biggest problems. But as Christians, we need to be much more thoughtful and prayerful than simply following party lines. For more on this, Tim Keller wrote a great article in the New York Times a couple of months, uh, years ago that I referenced in the handout. Here's God's second purpose for politics to provide a platform for the proclamation of the gospel. To provide a platform for the proclamation of the gospel. By platform now, I don't mean that God desires for the government to promote the gospel, or for that matter, any religion of any kind. Our founding fathers were really wise when they uh, insisted on the separation of church and state. We don't want the church running the state, and we don't want the state running the church. Instead, By platform, I mean that God's purpose for government is to promote an orderly, peaceful, flourishing society where the gospel can be freely proclaimed, people can be saved, and the church of Jesus Christ can grow. Note the connection in our text between those in high position, a peaceful life, and the gospel. In the first two verses, Paul tells us to pray for government officials in order that we might live a peaceful life. And what's the purpose of living a peaceful life? Well, in verses three through seven, Paul says, though, that it's, uh, we might freely proclaim the good news about Jesus and people might be saved. This, by the way, is why religious freedom is so important. Sometimes we miss this, but did you realize that uh, religious freedom isn't ultimately about us? Religious freedom is ultimately about the gospel. It's about people hearing about the one way to God through the life, death, and resurrection of the man, Christ Jesus. You see, where there's no religious freedom, say in places like Iran and North Korea, the proclamation of the gospel is hindered. And where the proclamation of the gospel is hindered, people are prevented from hearing about Jesus and being saved. Now, yes, God can And he does often work in places where religious freedom is uh, basically non-existent. In fact, he's doing so right now uh, in Iran. But make no mistake, God desires for his gospel to be freely proclaimed so that as many people as possible can hear that gospel and be saved. So those are God's purposes for politics, establishing and executing justice so that that we can live peaceful lives, and then since we have peaceful lives, so that that might provide a platform for gospel proclamation. Let's talk now about the church's priorities in politics. So so that's what the government's supposed to do. What is the church supposed to do? And what we're going to see is that there is a, a close connection between God's purposes for politics and the church's priorities in politics. Just like there are two purposes, there are also two priorities, prayer and proclamation. Look at verse one again. Paul says, first of all. Now, now first here doesn't refer to first in time, but rather first in importance. In other words, Paul's telling us that when it comes to politics, what is the church's Ultimate priority. What's our priority? You can get this, right? What's our priority as a church, as Christians? When it comes to Paulus, it's to do what it's to. Come on, help me. Pray. pray. I'm supposed to keep settled down here so my voice lasts. I'm not doing a very good job with that, am I? I can't help it, sorry. We'll just pray that it lasts through another service. But we are to we are to pray. And note in verse two that we're not just to pray for the politicians that we support, but we are to pray for, what's the word there? For all, all of those in high positions. You know, there's a lot of moaning and groaning about politics these days. You're hearing it, right? In fact, I'm doing a fair amount of it myself. And much of it is understandable. And honestly, we we really should lament Over the state of politics in our country. However, instead of complaining on social media and/or to one another, what we really ought to do is we ought to complain to God. That's actually what it means to to, to let lament. It means to, to take your complaints, your struggles, your frustrations, your anger, your questions to God. And as we do this, ask him to empower our political leaders to fulfill the calling he has given them. Here's a call, frankly, today for the church, for the body of Christ, to to, to take our complaints, to take our frustration, to take our anger, to take all of that that stuff, this this even fear that we have, and, and instead of just venting it out there, we take and we vent it to God, and then at the same time, we ask him to work in our political leaders so that they will fulfill the calling that he has given them in order that we might do what? Here's the second priority. We'll get to this in a minute. Proclaim the gospel. Now I have to admit, I've been convicted over recent weeks. As I've been studying and preparing for this. That this is something that uh, on a personal, from a personal standpoint, I have not done nearly as much as I should And that I also have not led our church to do this as much as we should. And I'm telling you today that that needs to change and it's gonna change. And I want to invite and encourage you to join me in that change. Let me say this. When we pray for our political leaders, we should pray for them as people made in the image of God, people who are fellow human beings People who have great dignity and worth and souls that will live for eternity. Listen, when it comes to politics, it's it's easy to lump people into to to groups and then to demonize the entire group. You know what I'm talking about here? Let let me give an example. Several weeks ago, um, I took my daughter to college down in Georgia. On the way there, outside of Atlanta, I saw a billboard that said, "One day, every tongue will confess, even the Democrats." Now, now, I knew that that was gonna happen. I knew you were gonna laugh at that. I'm not laughing, and I'm not laughing because I don't think God is laughing. It's arrogant, it's appalling, and it's wicked. And let me tell you why that is true. What it's saying is that the Republicans are in and the Democrats are out. What it's saying is you can't be a Democrat and believe in Jesus Christ. What it's saying is that in order to be saved, to be right with God, you have to not only trust in Jesus, but you also have to vote Republican. And what it's saying, particularly to unbelieving Democrats, is that to be a Christian means to be a Republican, which means that unbelieving Democrats are gonna want nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we gotta stop this stuff, whether we're Democrats or Republicans or somewhere in the middle. We have to stop talking like this and stop thinking like this and and rather see politicians and people that we disagree with politically as people made in God's image. And we need to pray that they will experience the grace and mercy of God, just like we have experienced the grace and mercy of God. What is the gospel, friends? The gospel is that though we were undeserving... That we actually deserve to spend eternity separated from God in hell, that God sent his son as a ransom for all, for every single one of us, which, which includes me, and that he saved me, not because of anything I've done and will do, but simply because of his grace and mercy. And that when we get this, and when we understand that, and it really takes root in our heart, then we can't look at other people with arrogance and with pride, but rather we, we look at them with compassion and tenderness and we desire that, that, that we will experience what we have experienced, that we will want to treat them as God has treated us. Let me ask this, what difference do you think it would make if we stopped complaining and started praying? If we stopped ridiculing and reviling and started pleading with God instead? Instead. Can I suggest that complaining and ridiculing and reviling have no power to change things? You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying. But can I just tell you, your memes on Facebook are not gonna change anything, okay? they've, They've only reaffirmed what you believe and your friends who believe what you believe. And if somebody who's not your friend sees it, it just gets them more entrenched in the position that they are in. Do you know what the greatest political tool in the world is? It's prayer. It's prayer. So let's start praying. Brothers and sisters, many of us, most of us, hopefully all of us, want to see political change in our country. Well, here in First Timothy, Paul tells us how that change begins to come about, and it begins to come about through prayer for our political leaders. And that leads to this. The church's second priority when it comes to politics is Proclamation it's crucial that we see the connection between prayer and proclamation in our text. I've already hit on this, but it really is the most important point in in our text and the message today. But we're to pray for our political leaders in order that the gospel may be freely proclaimed. Everybody got that? We pray for our political leaders so they will do what they're supposed to do so that we can get on with what we're supposed to do, which is what? Proclaiming the gospel. Can Can I just say that again? We pray for our political leaders so they can do what they're supposed to do so that we can get on with what we're supposed to do, which is proclaiming the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ. You see, it's not ultimately about having the right form of government or about the economy or law and order or even about morality as important as all those things are. It's about the proclamation of, of the gospel. And why is this so important? Why was proclaiming the gospel so important? Well, that's what the world's greatest need is. The greatest need in the world by far is for people to hear the gospel and be saved. And you know what? This, this actually is where change actually happens. Cultures change as people change, and people change as God's spirit works through the proclamation of God's word. Y'all with me on this? True, lasting, eternal change only occurs when people hear that there is one mediator between God and man. In other words, there's only one person that can make us right with God, and that is the God who became a man and gave his life as a ransom for all, Jesus Christ. So as I said earlier, we should engage in politics. We should vote. We should advocate for change. We should attempt to persuade people regarding what we believe are the best government policies. However, get this, we shouldn't rest our hope in these things. We shouldn't give in to the idea that if we can just get the right people in the White House or the State House or even the Supreme Court, then everything's gonna be okay. And if not, then everything's gonna be a disaster. Right? We hear that all the time, right? This is the most important election of our lifetime, like ever, And if we don't win this time, what is going to happen? And when we give in to that way of thinking, you know what we're doing? We're placing our hope and our faith in politics rather than in Jesus. And here's the problem with that. Politicians are all fallible, sinful human beings like us. They have no ability to save. What's more, they're only in office for two or four or eight years, maybe a little bit more, a few of them. So, so the really, in, in, in one sense, here today and gone tomorrow. But you know who isn't here today and gone tomorrow? Who? Jesus. Jesus. He is here always. He is ruling and reigning over this universe, and he is going to use his authority, his power, his reign, to bring us good. He has promised to do so. The Jesus, this Jesus, how how do we know this by the way? We know this because he gave his life as a ransom for all. And who can therefore save and change all who place their faith in him? So Harmony, let's place our faith in Jesus. Not just for the future but also for today. So, so as believers, we, we, we often, we, we separate this. We say, hey, I'm gonna trust Jesus for my eternal life, but then we trust in other things for our present life. Well, if we're trusting in Jesus for our eternal life, don't you think he can take care of our present life? So let's trust in the one who reigns over all and is going to accomplish all of his good purposes for this world and specifically for us. And let's display our trust by praying and proclaiming the gospel and watch the holy spirit go to work as we do so. In closing, let me let me let me just press this on you really individually here, all right? The church's priorities are to pray and to proclaim the gospel. Who is the church? Who is the church? We are, right? We individually, each and every single one of us, which means that each and every single one of us has the responsibility to pray and to proclaim the gospel. Do you know where change actually starts, friends? Change starts with me. Change starts with you. It starts as we each all individually pray and as we proclaim and as we share the gospel. So you wanna see political change in our country, which I think probably all of us do. You know what you can do? Yes, you can vote. Yes, you can, you can advocate, all of those things, good, great, but the primary way that you will see political change is by praying and then proclaiming the gospel in your homes, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods. We say it around here like this, where we live, where we work, and where we play. And if I could just press on you, you parents even more, do you wanna make change? It starts with those children in your household by discipling them in the faith. And really, here's, our, here's one of our greatest desires at Harmony Bible Church. This is why we talk about children's ministry and student ministry so much, is that we want to raise up a generation, not of Republicans or Democrats or independents, but of, of, of young people who will be passionate about the gospel and about Jesus Christ and who's, who will live, you see in our text, godly and dignified lives. So as people look at them, They'll say, what's different about you? And then our kids will be prepared and ready to share about Jesus Christ. People will come to faith in him. And as people come to faith in him, they will change. And as they change, our nation will change. So much more to be said. I think that's enough for today. Will you join me in prayer?